She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty place from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We are recording this on Friday, March 25th, 2022, and today we are discussing the tragedy of Macbeth. With me to talk about the adaptation is the Thane of Cawdor, paranoid king of Tysons, and he who is not born of woman, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people. Hello, people. Everyone, uh, please just unsex me if you would. If, if I, I would appreciate that. Impossible to do that. Um, please unsex me. Here we are. We are doing some uh, lensing after dark. Will uh, it's it's nighttime on this great east coast of ours. And uh, I think this is like the latest time we've ever recorded. It is 10:25 p.m. on a Friday night, so you know we get lit. We've Would got like to? we've got some wine. We've got some. We had some scotch. There's a little cheers. Uh, we are drinking the blood of Duncan. Yeah. Just so we're clear, we're gonna pour a little out for him as well. Yeah. So didn't deserve to be slain. Certainly not in vain. Well, he had to be slain for the story to be told, right? Well, he's the inciting incident. Sure. Yeah. Well, actually, well, he's not the inciting incident. Really, it's the uh, it's the witches. It's the witches. The weird sisters. I guess that's up for debate. I th- certainly think he's the, uh, if you're doing like the uh, save the cat thing, he's the, the point of no return, right? As soon as he kills Duncan, it's, I mean, you can't go back from killing Duncan. That's true, I guess. Who Who is the guy who wrote that big uh, screenplay book called Story? Robert McKee. What would you What would you think he would say the inciting incident was? It'd got to be the sisters, right? The weird sisters. Because we can get into this as we talk about this. Yeah. So not go too off track, but. It's, it's the, the We're weird already sisters. off the rails. It's the weird sisters. <laughs> we'll we'll debate it later on. But before we do that, we have fast facts. Uh, the book titled, I'm sorry, the book, the play, excuse me, titled Macbeth, also titled The Tragedy of Macbeth. Tragedy is spelled T-R-A-G-E-D-I-E. Tragedy, maybe, possibly. Not sure. There's a lot of death, but written by William Shakespeare, originally published in 1623, thought to be first performed in 1606 the movie which came out um which was uh, premiered at the new york film festival in september 2021 uh to a limited release um in december 25th 2021 by a24 drink oh are we playing this i think we should every time we we talk about a24 just in just in, in the little lens canon i'm gonna keep a tally for yeah. me and then you yeah there you go and then um began streaming on apple tv plus uh, January 14th, 2022. Written and directed by Joel Cohen, not including his brother Ethan. Uh, starring Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, Bertie Carvel, Alex Hassel, or Hassel, uh, Corey Hawkins, Harry Melling, Brendan Gleeson, Catherine Hunter, Stephen Root, and Ralph Innocen. Ryan Tomatoes score 93%, uh, Metacritic 87. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, that's high. Higher than After Yang, which is our most recent episode. Mm-hmm um maybe there's like you know 
we'll, we'll touch on the like paranormal aspects of the story, but maybe Shakespeare made a deal with the devil that all of his movie adaptations have to have a Rotten Tomatoes higher than 90. Maybe that's just the way it, it has to be. I don't know. I believe it. Conspiracy theory. I don't hate it though. Yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about the story, Will. Please do. Um, William Shakespeare's Macbeth, if you are unaware, tells the story of the Thane of Glamis, Macbeth, who upon defeating the allied forces of Norway and Ireland, led by the traitorous MacDonald, Thane of Cawdor, meets three witches, the Weird Sisters. They greet him first as the Thane of Glamis, then as Thane of Cawdor, and finally as King Hereafter. When he immediately gains the Thane of Cawdor title, he begins to harbor ambitions to become king, sending him down a path of violence and greed. Themes of legacy, greed, power, and paranoia feature prominently. Will, that is Macbeth. I've heard. And I know because I saw it and I read it. Yeah. So the thing about this recap is that all that stuff happens in like the first five pages. And then like the rest of it is just, to, you know, in response to this prophecy. Yes. Um, not much. I mean, there's a lot that happens, but it's, it's mostly my, one of my hot takes later was going to be that like, Hey, maybe prophecies are kind of bad. We should probably stop following them. Cause, uh, nothing seems, nothing good seems to happen. For oh, prophecies. No, prophecies are kind of cool. But uh, yeah, Macbeth, you probably read in, half read it in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, You're forced to read. Yeah, and now it's back in popular culture. It sure is. And um, we have a lot of things to say about the adaptation as well as the original source material because we did both here. But before we get into that, um, Eric, we're going to play a little game here called Two Truths, One Lie. Eric has to spot the lie of three statements that I say. He knows the rules. He won last time. He is on a streak of one. I feel like this there's a the streak is about to extend. We'll see. This is pretty tough, I think. Are you ready? Yeah, hit me. Number one, Macbeth is the oldest text we have read here at Motel Lens. Number two, all of the black actors in this film are American. Number three, within the theater community, some believe that the play is cursed and refuse to speak its title aloud, referring to it only as the Scottish play. Eric. What do you think? What are you feeling? Well, the third one, it, people certainly believe this play is cursed and they do refer to it as the Scottish play. They refer to Macbeth as M and Lady Macbeth as Lady M. So I know that to be true. Um, and we might talk about that here in a second. Your second point, all of the black actors in this film are American. It's, you know, these days, like there are a lot of really good British actors who play Americans pretty convincingly. Um, but certainly like the two main builds, Denzel and Corey Hawkins, who plays Macduff, who was um, Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. That's right. Uh, who's really good in this movie. I know they are both American. They are, I think his Macbeth's hand and also um, Lennox, I think are also um, black. And I don't know if they're American or not. But the thing is, I know that Macbeth is not the oldest text we have read here at Little Lens um, because I remember a little episode called The Green Knight, <laughs> which was written uh, by an anonymous poet Fuck. called The Pearl Poet. Uh, I think, I don't remember when, but certainly before 1606 or 1623 when it was published in the first folio. There's a Shakespeare fact wow. for you, Will. I don't think I've ever seen you this confident well, for one of these. It's the drink. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Uh, the Green Knight was writ- written uh air quotes in the 14th century so the 1500s oh not that far away or, i'm sorry the 15 
one it, of those. It was before. Yeah, but not like hundreds of years. A couple, it, yeah, several hundred. Not, yeah, not many, many, many more. Let me just pull up here real quick. But yes, it was, um, not too, not too far ahead of its game. But I thought, I thought you might have forgotten. I never because I certainly forgot. Yeah, I mean, it was in the the summer of our discontent. You know, a fourteenth century fourteenth century poem is what is listed at as on wikipedia okay so that well, would be i don't the, know we can't really trust wikipedia these days you know what i'm saying so yeah that's right sure i know that's right so yeah 1300s um 300 years before shakespeare interesting yeah yeah you so. it's time is sort of an interesting thing where you think like that poem was written forever ago mm -hmm. but it was only 300 years before shakespeare yeah and you think 300 years previously from where we are now it's like thomas jefferson yeah not quite it's like 1722 yeah which is where where the fuck were we? Yeah, not quite How far. Tough. We've gone. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So you are. That's two in a row. That might be your biggest streak ever on the Little Lens podcast history. Until next episode, tune in. <laughs> we will be right back. This episode of the Little Lens podcast is brought to you by the Anti Witch League. On average, a gaggle of witches produces one prophecy per paranoid man in his lifetime, and eighty-seven percent of these men will act on those prophecies causing death to Scottish kings, the slaying of tertiary female characters and their children, and moonlit episodes of sleepwalking where the affected bemoan all the people their power-hungry husband has killed. Say no to witches and their prophecies by taking the Anti-Witch League's Anti-Witch Pledge. If you hear double-double toil, tell them you don't want no trouble. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from the Anti-Witch League. We appreciate your support. So we are back and we're going to get into the studio pitch here. Eric's favorite segment, my favorite segment as well. I'm going to be the studio head. Eric is going to be the pitch person, whoever that is. He owns the rights to the tragedy of Macbeth. He's going to try and pitch me on making a movie. We'll see if I bite or not. I'm not really sure. I am William Shakespeare the eighth and I, I have all of my ancestors, the rights to all of his work. So I control everything. Um, Will, you may have noticed in the world of TV, certainly, that a uh, particular Shakespeare play has become pretty common. You've seen Succession on HBO. You've heard of Empire on Fox. Empire itself launched two other shows, one about a country music family, one about a winemaking dynasty, all based on a little play called King Lear. Okay, you ever heard of it? Uh, yes. That ain't shit when it comes to Macbeth, Will. And I'd argue it's probably Macbeth is probably better suited for a movie than King Lear is anyway. Uh, and you know what else I have to tell you about Macbeth is that there is no definitive silver screen adaptation. Sure. There was a Michael Fassbender movie in 2015. Yeah. There was a uh, really cheap budgeted Orson Welles movie in the fifties. And uh, yeah, there was uh, Kurosawa's throne of blood in the fifties. However, that wasn't in English. So I'm not kind of that one, even though it was dope. There's never been, a truly, truly exemplary Macbeth. And here's the catch. I have two of the greatest actors of their respective generations as the leads. You like Denzel? Who the fuck doesn't? He's, he's Macbeth. And Frances McDormand is Lady Macbeth. You know what she did last year, Will? She won an Oscar. And you know what she wants to do next? Play Lady Macbeth. In this movie... For your little fucking studio, Tim Cook. <laughs> Is that something you might be interested in? <laughs> and, and to be uh, like a little more serious, 
I think the themes in this movie, greed, power, paranoia, resonate now pretty um, importantly, I would say. So for all those reasons, and Denzel is like literally, we got to get his parking validated. He's like waiting outside, waiting for this movie. Oh, he's, he's waiting outside. Um, I think Macbeth is kind of a, a slam dunk for you. She told me a lot of things uh, into my ear. Spoke a lot of sweet nothings um, into my ear just now. But you did say one thing that I thought was interesting. Something about truly. Um, a truly great adaptation. And it made me think of this fizzy alcoholic drink called Trulies. <laughs> Don't break character. Called Trulies. And I, I feel bad because I haven't offered you anything after stepping into the room. You, you've come here for the second time in a row in a few weeks, and I feel bad. Can you get Eric a Truly, please? That'll be coming up pretty soon. Okay. Would you like anything else? Maybe tea, coffee? Uh, a uh, purple Shasta? Yeah. Diet cream sickle Shasta? Hey, Colin, Farrell, can you get that? Thanks. So those are coming right up. Back to the business. What you told me is that there was one cool Japanese adaptation of this play uh streaming on their criterion channel is if it you, i know you work for a24 so you probably have access to that <laughs> particular network uh, is is it good i haven't seen it but you know it's, i don't I need to see good. it to know it's good as and an a24 me, what you told me is that michael fassbender was in one adaptation recently and it bombed um and there was another one that also in english uh an orson wells joint that bombed so it's over two in the United States, over three you could say. I think there was a Roman Polanski one as well in nineteen seventy something. Over so four, you're just you're just helping my argument. Yeah. So why would I take a chance on something that has proven to not resonate with audiences? And you said Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand. You haven't mentioned who the director is. Who who do you have? Do you have anybody? Uh, who do I? I don't need anybody. It's Shakespeare, you baby. <laughs> you put a camera on Denzel and you let him talk. Ninety minutes. That's it. Who cares? Talking. You gonna? Can I have your six dollars? You gonna watch Denzel for ninety minutes? Read Shakespeare? Probably. Pro- probably. I right. Would. You wouldn't understand half the words, but you yeah. would. They would be nice words to listen to. But a twenty-four, we do cool, cutting-edge, contemporary pieces. We don't do Shakespeare. We don't do old time. Actually, we did the Green Knight. Here's the thing. This play, it's going to be in Elon Musk's abandoned Malibu villa, okay? <laughs> it's going to be weird as fuck. It's going to be black and white, mostly gray. Did Elon tell you that? Uh, it's going to be not of this world. That's I how I know it. And that's how I know it's his house. It's going to be unlike reality. Ooh. Okay? I like that. I like that aspect of it. It's the, the aesthetics here are not real. They're not flesh and blood. They're not, like, dirty warfare it's you know a psychological thriller i like that i'm coming around to it as a24 we have to keep our aesthetic going are you are you telling me that you just want a shot of denzel on the throne looking disaffected like you got dev patel in the green knight because you have it listen it's done i have to make a trailer it's been storyboarded (laughs) i have to sell this (laughs) well thank you are you give you 40 million dollars that's it so how was that pitch compared to last time is that is that better is that more what you're looking for yeah i would say so it was more selling which i like okay less tea so yeah well that was good no i like it so eric back to business little business that is what parts of the play were you excited to see adapted 
so uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is that this is Shakespeare, right? Like when you decide to do Shakespeare, you have to commit or not to the source material. Um, and that can be complicated. There are words that have different meetings today than they did back then. Obviously the today's audience has a much different relationship to language just in general. Um, and it's not much of a secret that I think the pleasure of performing or even reading Shakespeare comes from the dialogue. So when the dialogue is hard to parse, but that's the thing that's complicated. Um, how much do you change? How much can you change? How much should you change? That's a question. And we'll get into that. I think as we go here, but I think another question to ask is there are parts of this book when we just talked about the Michael Fassbender version. If you look at the still, he's like in a battlefield, bloody looking mm -hmm. like Jon Snow. Like how much of this book is about one man's descent into madness or how much of this is an action movie? How much of this can we say like, Hey, you know what? We'll put him in the field. We'll put him in combat. We'll do like all this stuff that makes it sellable in today's like movie going era. Can you make this an action movie? Probably, right? It's not in the text, but it's also not not in the text. Mm -hmm. Like there are there are battle scenes. There are, I mean, it exists. Yeah. So, do you want to go down that road? Maybe, maybe not. Um, that'd be interesting. I mean, I haven't seen that Hamlet, the Ma Michael Fassbender version, but Macbeth. I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> Hamlet. Get my Shakespeare uh, plays confused here, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but like, why haven't they done like a, why do they have to keep the Shakespeare language all the time? Hold that thought. I want to come back to that much okay. later in this discussion. Okay. Um, so another, other thing you'd want to see in this adaptation is just like Macbeth is a part for actors. It's mm -hmm. a showcase, right? Yep. Because it is a person who is good, who starts to do bad things and then just sort of like falls down a hill of bad decisions and, just sort of becomes like totally paranoid and power hungry mm -hmm. and warped by his decisions. And it's really juicy. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about like th how the, the motivations of those actions maybe don't quite click, but like you want to see a capital a actor play Macbeth and all of them do. Mm -hmm. And lady Macbeth, quite frankly, like that's a part played by a ton of like brilliant actresses. Mm -hmm. So you're talking Denzel, you're talking Francis McDormand, right? As we're recording this, I mentioned before, Daniel Craig is performing Macbeth on Broadway with Ruth Negga as Lady Macbeth. Actors are a big deal. Um, every actor, I think, brings something different. So you would, I think, be just like foolish to not want to know what Denzel's Macbeth is mm -hmm. if you are a Denzel stan. Uh, plus, I, I think just to, to pick up on that is like, and we'll talk about it in a second. Denzel and Francis McDormand are older than the traditional Macbeth, Lady Macbeth pairing. So as far as like Denzel brings this power and gravitas to the role, but he also is at least 20 years older than Macbeth. Canonically, quote unquote, mm -hmm. italicized canonically right, right. is. So there's, there's something age brings that's different than in other adaptations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. So I think there's there's a lot that is different with this just based on it being Denzel. And I wanted I would I was interested to know what what that was going to be. Yeah, I mean, for me um 
I have never liked Shakespeare. I hated it in high school. I hate it less today, but I think hate is like a fair description of how I feel about Shakespeare and his language. But, and I don't know. I never get excited about it. Like if I hear there's an adaptation, whatever. This one was different. Um, probably because A24 was attached, but also because it's Denzel. It's an African-American actor, right? Playing a traditionally English or white male role, um, which has become like more of a trend nowadays, right? It's been more inclusive and stuff like that. But also it's just because it's Denzel. He's one of the goats, right? For sure. Um, but I was, I got more interested in it, in it when I was reading it um, because I, you know, back in high school, I just sort of ignored the text. I would read it just to read it and get my assignments done and not care about it anymore. But it is kind of a incredibly interesting story. Um, somebody who commits a treacherous crime, immediately regrets it, spins into madness. Like kind of crazy, like kind of a, kind of a cool story. Um, so yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I would, was definitely interested in seeing what Denzel and what these actors would do with that. Yeah. I, let's transition into how we like the book because I th- you think you like hit on it. We're like, I don't know. I, f- I feel like a lot of people in high school, you take to Shakespeare or you immediately don't. And because we grew up like when we did, you know, this Shakespeare was not, we, it was important certainly like you you had this idea that like this is the guy Mm -hmm. and then you read it and you're just like fuck i need to run to the dictionary every time i see a word i don't understand and that can be painful and i think probably too it can be pleasurable for some people Mm -hmm. but you know in high school that's not something that you necessarily like want to do yeah i mean high school is is a lot different for for a lot of different people but if reading books is does not come naturally to you it is not like a a normal activity for you reading something like this is just never it's never going to spark interest this is going to be for people who read all the time whatever um and it is more of a chore but yeah if if you put the effort into it and you start to notice the things that shakespeare does right the double entendres and um the rhyming schemes right the iambic iambic pentameter yeah um, which I literally hadn't heard of since high school. Like I hadn't heard those words probably since high school. But, um, and you start to piece all these things together. You notice um, the different sequences and the different um, patterns in his writing. And it becomes more pleasurable in that respect because essentially, essentially you are understanding it. Um, there's a certain pleasure point where you get to, it's like, oh, okay, I'm getting this now. I am like, you feel a sense of achievement. Um, I don't think I got it with this, with this reading, but I, I think probably, I think probably it's, it's, it's like learning a new language almost Mm -hmm. because, I mean, you talked about the language, right? Where he, you know, you think of writing today is sort of like a subject verb object Mm -hmm. construction and Shakespeare will like invert that. He'll split that apart. He'll have verbs that start, like start the sentence and the verb ends in like 15 words. 15 words later like Mm -hmm. he just he just like fucks around with how the words are presented because it you know works well as like poetry and Mm -hmm. rhythmically but not for uh like comprehension and so there's there's work to be done to understand that and you could you can move them around to get the like what we might expect today to be like clean Mm -hmm. 
comprehensible English, but in doing so, you sort of like lose the blustery Shakespearean style. Style, and it's just like it's something that doesn't exist anywhere else. And so I think you know the more you read it, probably I mean this is the first Shakespeare I've read, and since I was in college, mm-hmm. the more you you see it, I'm sure it gets easier. So it, it feels like something that you really need to like go whole hog into like it's like the sh- summer of Shakespeare. Like let's read yeah. like five or six plays. Let's really get into it. Yeah. Cause you can knock this out in probably like four to five hours if you put yeah. your mind to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you could probably comprehend it going in cold anyway, at least like some of the plot for me. What helped me was actually, I don't know how you did it, but I watched the movie first. I knew the story. I'd understood it from previous viewings and stuff like that. But like actually watching it first and watching the story play out, I was not really focused on what they were saying. I was just focused on what the actions were. And then going back and reading it helped me understand, okay, this is actually what's happening. This is why he's saying this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how you did it. I watched it first and then I read it and then I watched it again. Yeah. That really helped me. My first viewing was like slightly incomprehensible, slightly incomprehensible. Right, right, right. Um, And then I read it and then I, I read it and mostly like tried to understand it for plot Okay. If not totally for language. And then I saw the movie and I was like, oh, I actually am recognizing some of these phraseologies. Mm-hmm. So it, something is lodging in my brain, I think which is kind of nice. That's good. Yeah. And I feel like Shakespeare is something that like you have to sort of read over and over and over again. You have to sit with it for a long time. You have to really dissect it, like literally sit down, maybe go line by line and understand, okay, this is what this line is saying. This is why this verb is here. And this object is here and whatever. And then you start to pick up on that as you go along and it becomes more natural um as with anything really as it's almost like a new skill right with anything that you do but i probably should have watched it a second time but i thought i i thought i got the gist um pretty good but maybe i'll watch it again probably not i probably won't watch it again just clean, be, a clean break yeah not yeah. to get into the f- film part too too quickly but i bought a um uh barnes and noble has like a shakespeare like a reader kind publication. of publication like they oh. have more than just Macbeth. they have hamlet they have a, a few other plays um that basically have the play obviously inside of it but they have this introduction by the translator essentially it tells you how to read it and then it also gives you like your book does on the left hand side it has like a just like a translations translation almost, section right? yeah. yeah um essentially which is helpful um so yeah check it out I will say that I think that the the play just like goes for it goes for something, right? Like it's it's trying to be more than just a simple story. And for that reason I think you you have to give it a little more credit than just a traditional piece of work. Like he's trying to do stuff with his wordplay. Like the plot is the plot, but I mean it's he's certainly trying to do something. And I think you just have to give it a little bit of credit even though it is hard. I think probably some of the pleasure comes from the pain. Definitely. And uh, for that reason, I don't know. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Did you? I think, uh, I know, it's a rich text full of yeah. a, a lot of different like interpretations and not everything is totally clear either. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it, there, I think there just like is a lot. It's I think one of his shortest tragedies. But yep. There's a lot in there, a lot that's not said, a lot that's done. Um, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I'm trying to like grade things on the scale that they are approaching the world like Macbeth is really trying to do something. So mm. that can be a five-star work where like, you know, a, a run of the mill, short story, 
it's not trying to do too much. It's just trying to put out an idea. Yeah. Like, is that worth five stars? I don't, I don't know necessarily. Mm. Not that it's bad, but it's on a different scale. Yeah, for sure. But unfortunately we just only have one scale. And on this one, it's five stars. On this one, (laughs) I I did give it five stars, but did you really? Yeah. Look at you. I think I would read. Well, I did. Yeah. Oh my God. I think I'll come back to it. Do you give out five stars? Like, you don't give out five stars willy nilly, do you? No, I try not to. Yeah, but, but this one spoke to you. It spoke to me. the The weird sister spoke to me, and they said, yeah. "Eric, one day you'll be the solo host of this podcast." <laughs> and that's why I've brought this dagger oh, here. Oh fuck, I'm fucked. <laughs> um, that's cool. I like it. I I haven't rated on Goodreads yet. I was probably gonna do, give it a three. Um, yeah, I'll probably give it a three, just because it's for me. It's more difficult. Um, because I hate it so fucking much. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's just a, it's a difference in like, I don't know, perspective on pros and I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know I mean, if it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't like it, then fuck you. you can move on. Right. They're like, they're, how many, how many things there are there to read? I'll, like infinite. I'm cursing a lot on this little lines after dark here. That's so okay. apologies we're, to all the underage. Uh, we're earning our uh, explicit rating. <laughs> well, cool. Um, are there any, um, are there any other subjects you want to crush here on the on the play no, no i think we i think we covered the the reading experience and you liked it so i did like it cool would, would you read it again in the next 12 months uh probably not just because that's a little tight yeah, yeah. but maybe maybe like a i don't know it sounds kind of like pretentious to be like i read Macbeth every year <laughs> around uh christmas time just like as the snow is falling <laughs> fire up Macbeth and just that's what'll get me to leave if you say that and you can become the solo host yeah Eric's reading fucking Macbeth again just gotta check in on my Thanes you know <laughs> see what the Thanes are up to um cool well that I think covers the literature section Eric are you gonna learn us something I sure am so you mentioned earlier in the podcast that um it's a it's one of the more f- famous theatrical no-nos to say oh my god the word Macbeth in a theater and i'm gonna tell you why uh so it turns out this superstition may trace all the way back to the very first performance of this play in 1606 when the actor is scheduled to play lady Macbeth, uh they had men play women back in those days died suddenly and shakespeare himself was tasked with playing the part uh that of course is is legend so Mm -hmm. it's not verified other stories go that a performer was killed when a real dagger was substituted for a prop one uh and also that shakespeare brought a curse upon the play itself by using authentic spells in his weird sister sections oh my god which i thought was kind of interesting um further yet well it seems like this one's more in the realm of realism there are some who suggest that poorly attended plays would be pulled from theaters and the most likely replacement was you guessed it, Macbeth. No. So don't dare say that name for fear of your production shutting down. No. Um, I know you're asking yourself, listeners, what happens if I do go to a play and I accidentally in line for a drink, just like whisper Macbeth. I have you covered. Um, you can one leave the building where the play is being performed with the offending person, whether it's you or your friend. Mm-hmm. Walk around the building three times, spit over his or her or your left shoulder and say an obscenity which is actually why will's cursing a lot in this podcast and then wait to be invited back into the building another (laughs) is to simply spin around three times quickly on the spot while yes uttering an obscenity another yet is to leave 
the offending room, knock three times, be invited back in, and quote a line from Hamlet. A different Shakespeare play? A different Shakespeare play. (laughs) And same thing, you can do the same thing, but quote lines from The Merchant of Venice. Another Shakespeare play. Oh, okay. Uh, No less an expert than Patrick Stewart himself, who once played Macbeth, said, if you have played Macbeth, then you can say the title anytime, anywhere. Oh, So congratulations to Denzel, to Daniel Craig, to Orson Welles, (laughs) all these Macbeths. They're just lining up for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and just being like, Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. So So he he cured it. He He cured the curse. Only for those who have played Macbeth. I see. For the rest of you, um, please just call it the Scottish play. Gotcha. And uh, there you go. That's cool. This is kind of a cool subplot. This is a real thing. Yeah, definitely is a real thing. I like the idea that all these plays that were like not doing so well, like no one's coming to the theater and they're like, fuck it. Yeah, Macbeth. Macbeth in the town over is like doing so well. Yeah. Like, don't you fucking say <laughs> Macbeth. It's going to come here. You we're all going to be... Thane of Condor. Yeah, we're all going to be talking about Thanes. God, what a boring play. And then, boom, Macbeth. Macbeth is like the Spider-Man No Way Home of its day. You know, don't like the Marvel that. movie of Let's its take day. It back. Take it back. It's just right like now. you know what you need to hit. That's horrible. Macbeth, right? You need to you need to be in a good you like a well received movie that makes money. Boom, DC Marvel. That's it. Shakespeare DC. was the original MCU. I think this is what we've I decided. <laughs> I think you may, may be onto something here. I I mean, you're not not wrong. Twitter.com, <laughs> send me. Very cool. So if you are thinking of playing Macbeth or thinking of playing a character in Macbeth, just be wary of where you say Macbeth. If you're in a theater, just don't fucking say it. Just don't say it. Yeah, don't use the M word. <laughs> Is that what you're calling it? <laughs> don't, don't say it. Just don't fucking say it. Yeah, call it the Scottish play. There we go. And we're going to take a quick break and listen to the trailer. We'll be right back. <laughs> By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. My husband, King Benchelby. If we should fail. We fail. Didst thou not hear noise? Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Are you a man? Ah, and a bold one. That dare look upon that which might appall the devil. Voices in my sword. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from the trailer. They don't support us, but we support them. So yeah, that's, that's right. how we do it. 
Um, so we talked about the play. Uh, we covered that quite a bit, and now we're going to get into the movie. The Joel Cohen, the single Cohen brother, um, his adaptation. So, Eric, how would you describe it? Literal, excuse me, literal, loose, or reimagined? I think I'm. I think I'm calling this loose. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. It's very, very similar, but there are some there are some key differences. Yeah, I would say. I would probably call it literal. If I had to choose, I would say literal. But yeah, there are definitely some key differences. It's, so it's probably like on the continuum, like between the two of those. Yeah, yeah. A soft literal. Yeah, like or a soft sci-fi or a hard loose. A soft loose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So big difference number one, or like you know, big difference. Is it obvious? The camera, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about an adaptation of a play. We probably wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't talk about the camera itself there are dutch angles all over the place here Mm -hmm. there are long shots down hallways where Macbeth or lady Macbeth or ross or the drunk porter played by like totally unhinged stephen root who certainly watched my 2016 vegas trip um all just like move (laughs) uh later there's even an intercutting of several different scenes like malcolm raising his army lady Mm -hmm. Macbeth's death Macbeth on the banister before he gives his like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow soliloquy that the director is able to like ping back and forth through to sort of raise tension versus in a, the play where it's like, you know, act five, scene one, the army is raised act mm-hmm. five, scene two, Macbeth is talking act five, scene three, lady Macbeth commits suicide act five, scene four, Macbeth reacts to said suicide. Um, I think just having a camera allows you to do so much more stuff, raise the stakes, like show us, different interpretations of the text just in how we are like positioning things looking at things i think i mean one of the things that i think we probably talked about or hinted at when we talked about the play itself is that like there are very few stage directions like almost Mm, none yeah people enter people exit like bells ring that is kind of it yeah um, everything you need to know is in the text, yep. which is one of the things that kind of makes it challenging to read because not only are you reading it for information, you need to be reading it for interpretation. Yeah. So having actors perform it, they have done a lot of the work for you in deciding where the emphasis goes, what actions follow, what words, yada, yada, yada. So just having, I think that extra benefit of, one an actor interpreting and two the camera telling you through its movement what this means or what a feeling what what feeling is being portrayed is it is a difference slash benefit versus a play adapt versus a play the play right 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 i feel like that is that's a very good point that you bring up and i feel like that must be part of the reason why it's got such long legs on it thinks this thing has been performed for over 500 years now right like how how crazy is that yeah and relevant for 500 years yeah too. relevant exactly and especially contemporary wise like it's been played a bunch within the past you know 40 50 years whatever on broadway etc and you make a good point about it's because it's a it's always different every time that you see it Right, if it's a different actor. Whereas if you get uh, Hamilton, for example, or one of these contemporary plays, it's probably going to be 
mostly the same. You might get minor differences in acting performances and stuff. But this is a little bit different because there are no stage there is no stage direction at all. It is entirely up to I mean there's I was reading it earlier and there's uh uh it was McDuffin versus Macbeth, the final one of the final scenes. And it's just they say things and then it says Macbeth is slain. Like no, that's it. Like that's just what happens. It's no Macduff raises his arm and is about to strike down on Macduff or Macbeth with his sword and whatever chops him in half. It's all interpretation from the actor. Yeah, which is kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Um, Sorry to no, I think that's exactly right. I think it's kind of cool. And yeah. if you're Joel Cohen. You have your own interpretation. And we mentioned this, I think, kind of before, but like the production design is is different. Wild. V- very different. Very wild. Um, I, I read that it's, they created something that is like unreal. Yes. Purposefully. Untethered yeah. reality or something like that. Just I, It was filmed on a soundstage mm-hmm. and everything was just created to fill the space. That's what you should have led with in your studio bench. Untethered reality. Fuck. We're going to film it on a soundstage. You're right. Elon Musk. I should have done that. <laughs> But no, that was definitely that's definitely a cool take on it, because it plays into Macbeth's psyche, right? He's in his own world. He's not living within reality because he's also he's see, first of all he's seeing ghosts, massive paranoia, and he's massively uh, sort of excluded essentially from society because he's massively um, uh, secluded himself from everybody. I like that the like idea that he has created this own his own reality because mm-hmm. this th- i mean seriously like the design like doesn't always make sense you can watch it like there's a the scene the second time the weird sisters come to visit him the floor in his room like magically fills with water yeah and then when they leave it drains out yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's the scene when lady Macbeth is you know wink wink killed um right, right. yes no spoilers here this play is 400 <laughs> years 500 years uh she's like walking up a hallway and if you look down the hallway from Macbeth's vantage it's like a totally different hallway mm. they like look too, they look different yeah yeah it's like it they filmed at two up. different places yeah so i didn't i don't know it's, i just thought it was that your point you made is i think super resonant because it's totally not real there's another scene um i mean there's a, there's a bunch of examples of this but there was another scene that made me pause when i was watching it it was the scene where he's about to go kill Duncan and he's like, has this monologue where he's like, is that a dagger? Right. He's in this hallway and there are these arches. It's like a big room, but there's this one hallway that leads to Duncan's room. Um, And there was these, there are like 20 arches uh, in between him and uh, the door on the left-hand side. And each shadow is exactly, um, how do I say this? If a light was shining on that one arch perfectly in the center from the other side of that one arch, it would be like perfectly placed, right? But if a, if a light was to the right a little bit or to the left a little bit, it would be right skewed mm. left or right accordingly. But each single arch was exactly straight, which would indicate that each one had its own light source, mm-hmm. right? If there was one light source, they would all be sp- spread out. Right. But that was just like so confusing to see that. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's an interesting, you know, design or design choice, like product design or excuse me, production design choice to do something like that, which plays into exactly what, what you're talking about. 
I like it. Yeah, I love it. Keep it rolling. Um, age, right? We I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier that Denzel and uh, Francis McDormand are not the typical age of a Macbeth, Lady Macbeth performer. What would you say that their typical age would be? Thank you for asking that, Will. There's actually no textual evidence that tells us how old these two characters are. However, we do know that uh, Lady Macbeth has had at least one child who died. Mm -hmm. Um, And in one of her soliloquies, call back to me at the beginning of the episode, she asked to be unsexed, um, Mm -hmm. which I think we basically interpret that to mean to end her menstrual cycle. Uh, mm. I'm not an expert in this field, but basically she wants to shut down um, her body from like having children. She's rejecting mothering duties to basically focus more on like non-womanly things like political or like mm. ambition or like having, you know, she, she's not trying to do one thing. She wants to do another non-womanly of the time. Of the time. I don't want to get you canceled here on this podcast. Sorry. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, It's not like outright stated, but I I think the interpretation is basically that like she has visions of infant side. I don't know the technical term for this, but like killing children. Mm -hmm. She has fantasies of doing that. Um, She basically just like doesn't want motherhood or kids to get in the way of her ambition. Now that's the text. In the play, or in the movie, excuse me, immediately, you know that's not the case because Denzel is 67, Francis McDormand is 64. That's, I mean, men, for men there. it's different, but like, you know, that's that's probably past child-bearing yeah. age. Yes. So it's interesting for a couple of reasons, I think. One, just logistically, like Macbeth is a war hero and he fights and Denzel is 67. Yeah, I mean, the dude is a beast because like the, there are scenes in here that are pretty like badass mm-hmm. and he, that dude is 67 and he's swinging a fucking heavy sword yeah, pretty yeah. fucking hard. Um, so yeah. clearly he's up for it, but it, it is a question like, can a 67 year old man defend his crown? Probably not. Um, against the, how old is, uh, what's his name? Corey Hawkins. Thirties. Yeah. yeah. He's, he plays a baseball ex baseball player in fences, right? Former little lens joint. Oh, so maybe he's got some, maybe he's got some, uh, He's got a swing, you know? I bet he does. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I think um, as, as as it relates to age as well, you could probably make the argument that this story is more about them fighting off age, fighting off death, than mm-hmm. it is about them trying to claim some, like, legacy. Uh, I think it's it's more about them taking what's theirs before it's too late than it is about, like, setting themselves up for the future of something thing. else yeah it's one last grasp at the throne whereas in the play it's like i'm still young i want to make make my imprint on this world it's hard it's it's hard because it is it is somewhat similar in that like in the play they still don't have kids right right i think they like theoretically i guess they could still have kids but probably unlikely because mm-hmm. she still has delusions of killing children and yeah um and all that i think it just i think it just you interpret it differently they're not it's not it's less about ambition than it is for like i want this now mm-hmm. and that's just it and th- maybe those seem like too similar to be different well this is what a 
what great podcasting, but, um, I do think that making them older allows them to see the world differently and they don't necessarily care about the air. They care about being in charge Mm -hmm. today. Right. And getting to be the one that's king, getting to be the one that tells people what the fuck to do and all that stuff. So maybe it's a little more shallow, you know, as a a motivation. Yeah. I mean, you could certainly argue that. Um, I kind of, with you saying that, I kind of envision um, Lady Macbeth as like a Hillary Clinton type. Is that fair to say? I wonder if people have made that comparison before. Probably. Because Lady Macbeth is the one who initially uh, goads, not goads, she encourages Macbeth to kill Duncan. And then he does it. And he's like, what have I done? Yeah. She's like, she's like, no, you idiot. You like did it wrong. You got to put the daggers back and frame the chambermaids. And then she also loses her mind a little bit. Yeah. Eventually. A lot of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. um, From those actions. She's a schemer. I don't know. Bit of a schemer. Yeah. I don't know. Just popped in my head. Just me ad-libbing here on the podcast. But you're definitely right. It definitely gives you a different perspective on, you know, where they are in their lives and what is most important to them. If you're younger, maybe starting a family, setting yourself up for the future is most important. If you're 67, pushing the end of your life, you're like, what What have I made of my life? Can I make something important of it? Right. So I get, yeah, it's a, it's, I, I don't know. Is it a minor difference? Is it, a, is it a major difference? Hard to say. It's probably more minor than like face value. Now that we've talked through it mm-hmm. would suggest just because it's like, oh my God, Denzel is so old, but it's like, I, I mean, he, he already didn't have kids. Yeah. He already was, I think they say fruitless in the text. Mm-hmm. Like he already didn't have an heir. He did it anyway. Let's get into the juicy one. Ross. Ross. You want to pivot to Ross? I want to pivot to Ross. Um, yeah. So I don't know what, how else to phrase it, but like Ross gets a glow up in the, in the movie version. Um, you know, you, you finish reading the text and you're like, Oh, who Ross, is that a character? (laughs) I I wasn't aware. (laughs) You know, he, uh, he's around, you know, he tells Macbeth at the beginning that he's now Thane of, Cowdor, he tells Macduff in a long, kind of frankly weird exchange that um, Macduff's family has been murdered. Yeah, that was quite odd. Um, he's sort of this guy who just facilitates the transfer of information a couple of different times. And that's it yeah. in the text. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you got this feeling, but he almost felt like in the movie, at least, that he was like a fourth arm of the witches. Like he was sort of a, a facit- facilitator of their prophecies. Essentially, he was sort of setting things up as the, they went along. Definitely, like the way he's dressed. Yeah, he's wearing these like super tight robes, and he's got this weird, like, like exceedingly tight. On it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think also he is um, kind of a schemer. Yeah, where he he, so I to circle around. I think the the film kind of just decided to, to use him as a super utility player where it's mm-hmm. like, there are people in the play who are in certain locations at certain times and they're all kind of different. So mm-hmm. why don't we just pick a guy 
make him be the person who's there all the time those times and that way you've created a, like a larger character yeah and that way we can it's more interesting yeah, yeah, yeah so that's sort of what he becomes um he gets elevated to the big leagues is what i wrote down he got there the call go. up um he's the third murderer which is a thing that will make sense to the shakespeare heads yes out there yeah uh, something that i learned about after reading the play um but there's a third murderer who shows up in the killing of banquo who is initially Macbeth's friend mm-hmm. um he gets a similar prophecy that basically says you won't be king but you'll live a happy life and you'll have many heirs who will be king mm-hmm. um Macbeth sends two dudes to kill him and then a third dude shows up and is like hey Macbeth sent me is it cool if I help you kill this guy and they're like yeah <laughs> more the merrier <laughs> Uh, in the pl- it's, so it's not revealed who that is in the text and i think a lot of shakespeare scholars have interpretations but there is no um awareness of who it actually is and so joel cohen in this production was basically ah, oh, it's gonna be ross yeah which is what it is um he also finds lady Macbeth wandering the castle during the sea- siege of oh, i forget the name of Macbeth's castle um Donald or not Donald Bain. It's like a, it starts with a D though. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lady Macbeth is sort of like also having a breakdown and he finds her in the castle and it's heavily insinuated that he murders her. And in the, in the book it's, we're told that she has committed suicide. So a little bit more of an active participant in the end of uh, Macbeth. A little bit. Um, and at the very, very end, um, so Banquo has a son, and when the murderers go to kill Banquo, his son initially escapes. Ross is the one who finds him in a field, and it's initially played as like, oh, he's going to kill him and move on. And at the end, it's revealed that Ross has actually hid him for a long time, weeks, months maybe, um, and is facilitating his leave, his escape from England, basically. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It's it, they sort of just like created a character who blows in the wind. At you know certain points, he has an allegiance to Macbeth, then Macduff, then Malcolm, and then at the very end, he's you know with Fleance or Fleance, however you say that name. Yeah, he's supporting him. So he's he's just like pings from king to king to potentially future king because that's what the witches have prophesized that Fleance one day will be king. He was he was the most interesting character. Uh, for me in the movie i was like why is this guy everywhere and why does he look so great in this like weird outfit that he has on yeah he's like what's going on with him he's like sexy but like uncomfortably sexy yeah like we're just like should we get together yeah (laughs) i'm not sure yeah by the way uh his castle is dunsinane hill okay right yeah so yeah i don't know I'm glad that you brought up Ross because, um, you know, he, when I was reading it, totally did not register with me very often. Only when I was reading it, um, was, oh yeah, we're back to Ross, whatever. He, but um, in the movie, he's definitely elevated uh, to this to this new level where he's just, you know, I I, I want to go back to what I said before. He's like this fourth arm for the witches, and he's sort of playing out their prophecy, and it's almost like he's like like a secret agent for them. Um, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but do it. I just think he, he's a, he's a witch or he's a, I don't know. He's a witch. It could be that. 
a player could be of that. the witch team. Yeah, it, ma- it makes me think, like, after you said that, you know, the witch's prophecies don't just come true. Like, action has to happen. Mm-hmm. And so if you have Ross on your side, who is somebody that can mm-hmm. make things happen, then maybe you could have your prophecies realized. Yeah. So is he the person who is a witch, or is he just a person who's like, He's fuck it, I'm going to make shit happen. Fuck it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a witch, you you're heavily invested in these prophecies, right? You got to make sure that they come through. Big prophecy. You got to buy insurance on these things, right? Big prophecy people. Like you bought insurance on this house, right? No. You're highly invested. <laughs> no no house insurance. <laughs> highly invested in it. You got to buy insurance. So their insurance, Ross. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good um, like interpretation of what he's doing here. Yeah. He's the like prophecy czar. And now know? that I think of it, his, his outfit which it like? Had like two literally two wings basically on the side of it and what were the witches when they crows away? They yeah they're crows. crows you want to talk about the 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 woman who plays the weirds so the, yes. there are three weird sisters in the book but in the movie there's only one and it's played by this actress who is like really like she's really awesome but she's also a like contortionist yeah, yeah, yeah. The way she like folds her body around while she's like talking is just really creepy, but also like very crow-like, and you're just like, wow, it's... what the fuck's going on? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was super impressed. I think her name is Catherine Hunter, um, and she is basically a contor- contortionist, and she's putting her putting her body in these really awkward and weird-looking positions. Uh, that certainly plays into the character really well. And I was just watching it, thinking like, why can we not give this woman a nomination Mm. like why not like why like what's going on best supporting yeah and she played she also played the old man old man yeah what are we doing i don't think who did we nominate this year i don't think people like this movie that much that's why the 93 was surprising because i don't think it oscar wise you know this was obviously a pick for our oscar season and i it didn't you know fucking coda Got the, Coda. I think Coda probably took Macbeth's place for best adaptation. But in, in another sentence, like, you know, if you're adapting Shakespeare, how much work are you really doing? If you're if you're just keeping I the guess. text. I guess. That's what my wife said. She was like, Well, how hard is it to adapt Shakespeare? It's already there. I was like, I guess that's fair, but at the same is time you have to create like new sets. It's and, almost harder, yeah, because there's so many other adaptations of it. And as we mentioned before, like, you have to interpret the text. And everyone interpre- interprets you know, it differently. Did you know that Judy Dench was nominated? For Belfast, a film I have seen. We had to nominate Judy Dench again. Yeah, I think she's English and she uh it does a Northern Ireland accent, so that's pretty that's pretty that's, that's pretty cool. That's fair. Okay, that's fair. Anyways, I just want to give her a shout out just because I feel like she deserved it. Um and yeah, I think Ross is a he's a player on the witch team. I think it's um I have one more thing here to bring up Please. If, if you're interested. Yeah. So, I thought it was interesting to to I so in my edition of Macbeth I had like a little pre intro where they talked about like the language and like what the theater was like during Shakespeare's time. And basically Shakespeare and his troupe would perform for kings and also royals and whatever. And during the time of Macbeth, right the writing of it, James the 1st was mm the king mm-hmm. and i was like okay well you know throw that in my brain i, I don't really care but right, right. interesting um scottish i think but apparently uh james the first and the people around him 
would believed him to be descended from Banquo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this. So like the reason to keep Fleance alive is the idea that basically like oh. all of Banquo's heirs Be- would filter become... down to become James the first. The king. Yeah. So if you're like watching this play in the moment and you're oh. James, you're like, oh, that's that's my like great, 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 great grandfather. That's kinda, cool. Kind of thing. Um, and there's also another moment in here where they're talking about like the this in the play, the soldiers, the English soldiers. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, these are the best soldiers in all of Christum. And I was like, all right. I can just imagine like the theater of English people being like clapping really loud. Like when yeah, Toby yeah. and uh, Andrew pop on the screen in Spider-Man. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it's just like yeah. another, you know, MCU yeah. reference you'd say. But, you know, it's just like the, this design to make your audience like thunderously applause. Like, yeah, yeah fuck yeah. This yeah, is yeah, this yeah. is so true. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It's definitely very cool. It's a cool, it's a cool tie-in to reality, right? I actually didn't know um, that these are like Macbeth was a real person. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the story is obviously made up and it's not really about uh, their lives necessarily, but um, the fact that they're tying it into reality and then sort of certainly tying it up here with this bow with that James the first character. Um, it's like a little, I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it's like a cherry on top, kind of like a chef's kiss. Yeah. Chef's kiss. It's cool. I like it. Yeah. Like that. Please don't behead me. I'm writing a play about you. There's got to be a term for that, right? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like kowtowing to a power. Like you're really just doing this for the audience. But even then, like Banquo is a pretty big character. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the term. I might name my son Banquo. That's a pretty. You like that name? Yeah. Do you, can I ask you something? Do you believe that witchcraft is real? Like we talked about how yeah. people think Macbeth is used real spells and that's why it's cursed. Do you think those are real oh, spells? No. Like, do you think you could make a potion if you found like a thumb from a young child and some like hair? And... I said, no. Okay. <laughs> that's no, it. That, that's okay. the, that was the question I had. Okay. We'll move on. Ask me another question. Um, why was the adaptation successful? You skipped one. <laughs> Did I? Oh, yeah. you're right. Why are the book and movies so similar? So I, I, I wanted you to ask me this because you you asked this earlier, which is, I think... Oh, yeah. Um, the answer to this is the language. I think... Oh, I see. If you want to do Shakespeare and not She's the Man or like Throne of Blood, um, you can't change the words. Why? Like, why can't you just call it Macbeth or the tragedy of Macbeth and have normal English or like relatively We've normal never English. done that. Why? Like, I don't know. That'd be so bad. But can you think there's, it there's would make it so much more accessible. There's literally no examples. It's like, you want to make a Disney movie? Cool. She's the man. It's 12th night, but no Channing Tatum's in it. Or yeah, but you don't need to do all that. Like you could just make this, this piece in this period with all these characters, but just change the language to understandable English. I think Throne of, Throne of Blood is like that. It's just Isn't not it? in, English. It is the Japanese. Um, which probably honestly allows it to be, I mean, certainly allows it to be way more creative because you don't, you're not beholden to the like English here. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't know. Would it be as good? This, here's a, not. here's I mean, a question. Okay. Because yeah. like the, the plot as it is, is, you know, this guy gets a prophecy, decides to kill the King of Scotland, becomes King himself. And then just like keeps killing fucking people mm. because he's afraid that someone's going to overthrow him. Yeah. 
he gets another prophecy that says, don't worry, you're going to be king, but beware of Macduff. Also beware of like these woods taking over your castle and a person not born from woman. And he's like, well, none of those things are real. So I don't have to worry about that. But he does. They all end up coming true. But like, is that, is that good with just like, Hey, Macduff, come over here. You fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to cut you. Come over here. You cunt. I don't know. I mean, I just, okay, sure. Maybe it's taboo to sort of change the language of Shakespeare because it's so influential and it's so important to his stories. But it just it just makes it so much more accessible. And if you make it so much more accessible, you bring in more people into the Shakespeare world and get more people interested in it. Not that there needs to be more people interested in it, but like you almost I feel like there needs to be like a dumbed down version of it in order for it to be like super successful. And because this movie did not make very much money. Well, no, but it was also an Apple Plus just like we're going to put or Apple TV plus, whatever it's called. We're just going to put it on streaming and I get it. And that's noble. Like that's, I've, I've no qualms about that, but like, this is a great story. Like it is, it's got everything, especially for like a medieval, right. Time frame. And if you just have different language, if you have the language of the green Knight or King Arthur, like whatever, like you just, you have a hit. Like it's, 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 hands down gonna be a hit yeah it's a it's a hard question i i think what has happened and not that it's right but people have just basically taken his plots and reapplied them in different ways and that's as far as we're gonna go in terms of like doing normal shakespeare like we're i we're just never gonna do Macbeth with like normal dialogue we just we just won't i don't think which i think is is a shame it would be it would be interesting, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I I, I get I get you don't want to like. There's there's a level of uh, intellectual whatever, right? There's there's a intellectual level where people have to leap to to in order to understand the terminology and the language and stuff like that. It's like you don't want to dumb it down yeah. for that for for everybody, right? Kind of thing. It's like a. Not you. I'm just saying, like in general. Yeah, yeah. It's like a. If you don't understand it, you don't understand it, kind of thing. It's not for you, and I. That's also a fair argument. But like, why hasn't anybody at least tried to, dumb it down? Or maybe they have, and I, we just haven't heard about it. Shakespeare is the sort of like last, untouchable person. Yeah, like, it's like I don't. You know, when you think of like reading lists, like when we were growing up it was like the great Gatsby. you've read the great Gatsby like yeah. every single year yeah and now some of that stuff is being taken off and i don't i guess i don't fully know because i'm not plugged into like the english scene at high schools but it feels like shakespeare is something that is just not going to go away yeah you know yeah. what i mean we'll redo the rest of the list but we're not going to we're not going to take up shakespeare yeah yeah i feel like i feel like they keep it in there because it's almost like a weeding out process if the kids who like Shakespeare and who like understand it, like they are going to go on to be like English majors and like, they're going to do well. And they're going to kind of like, you know, if you're in calculus in ninth grade, like it's sort of like a weeding out. Like if you don't get calculus by 10th, 11th grade, like you're just not going to be a mathematician or an engineer or whatever it is. Organic chemistry. When it's, you're trying to go pre-med, yeah. you just like fall out. Yeah. Just done. Yeah. So it's, I get, maybe it is like this weeding out thing. Um, 
but I don't know. Dumb it down for us, man. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> um, Mc, McDuh? <laughs> shut the, that's a horrible fucking joke. <laughs> okay, was this adaptation successful? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm saying probably not because if it were, then uh, Denzel would be winning Best Actor. Yeah. Um, this coming Again. Sunday when we're recording, and not Will Smith. And I think that's really all that has to be said. I, I like. It's strange to me that this movie gets like a 93 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and yet, like, I don't know anybody that gives a shit. And yeah. also, this is the last one we've done on our Oscar season, like yeah. Oscar episode season. Mm-hmm. Cause no one gives a shit. No one's talking about Macbeth at all. Make it more fucking accessible and they and, would give a shit. And maybe that's the problem. I think it is a problem. I, I just think that like the majority of people don't care about Shakespeare. Yeah. Just got ruined for them initially. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, maybe it's not for it's high school thing. Maybe it's, it's like a college. It, Huh? Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't learn about it in high school. It's too early. Maybe you just don't care, and it, yeah, it ruins you're you. Trying to like you know make the basketball team and you know Macbeth on Goodreads is is like girls. fairly low. Oh, I would I would imagine. I think yeah. it's like three five. It's like somebody hated it in high school definitely. and rates it like a one. Of course. Then, yeah. Yeah, Goodreads is definitely like that. So I'm saying no. What do you think for success? It was definitely successful. Is absolutely successful. Okay. I, the reason I think it was successful successful was because, uh, it was digestible, um, and entertaining. Even with the words that they used, even with the language, um. So yeah. Better with actors is what you're saying. Yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. And it was interesting enough from like a production design and um just a camera point of view to keep me engaged um i would have no interest in seeing this play not with daniel craig who daniel craig james bond james bond 007 is he actually doing it right now yeah in london or in uh, a little city called new york never heard of that town so twice (laughs) town so twice they named it nice We'll get it next time. <laughs> it is just for the record, so everybody knows it's eleven forty p.m. and we've had a couple glasses of wine, so that's totally fine. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I thought it was exce- I thought it was a success. Okay. So, and you don't think it was ex- a success because as an adaptation, I thought it was a good movie, but as an adaptation, oh. I thought it would be a success if everyone was like, "Oh fuck, Denzel is Macbeth. You have to see it," and he has to win the Oscar. But no one's talking about it. Yeah, I, even I though Denzel is very good from a from like a heat yeah. point of view, right? Like in society right now, you know, people like me are talking What's about the temperature on Macbeth, Daniel Craig as Macbeth on Broadway. Yeah, what are people talking about right now? Not Coda. that. Yeah, Coda. Fucking Coda. Yeah, horrible. Uh, do we like the movie? I think, I think we both know the answer is yes on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I it has inspired me to watch throne of blood or yeah. some of the other Macbeths, just to see i would definitely watch this movie again if not multiple viewings um i would maybe give the reading a try but probably not yeah that's fair try hamlet next probably not. yeah fuck you <laughs> <laughs> um hot takes eric you go first uh when people 
so we talked about at the the end Macbeth and Macduff have this like sword fight yeah uh, and Macbeth doesn't believe Macduff can kill him until Macduff reveals that he was born out of a cesarean section and so technically wasn't born of woman. He was like prematurely uh, taken out of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that sounds so gross. That's all right. Anyway, they have a they have a fight on the castle walls and it is fucking badass. It's really cool. And uh, I think my hot take is when people fight in movies with swords, why aren't they just swinging to kill? Like every... Why is why is not every swing like to behead you or to fucking poke a hole in you? Yeah. Why do we like some of these like early Star Wars, even like the prequels, are just kind of like you know, the lightsabers attack like outside of your body, uh, diameter, Mm -hmm. circumference. It's like if you're gonna swing a fucking sword at me, hit me. You know what I mean? That's what I want to see in movies more. And I thought this movie did a great job of like when I was watching Denzel fight not only was he a 67 year old man like going crazy with that heavy sword Mm -hmm. he was trying to kill that dude and the other guy was trying to kill denzel and i was like this is great it was a great fight it was definitely a great fight this is what fights would be like you know like you're not just like flipping around and like gently touching like over your heads honestly they probably wouldn't even be this good they'd probably be like less dramatic I think you probably like you it'd be like boxing. You, you know, you'd yeah. be like hugging onto each other and yeah. like yeah, punching yeah, yeah, yeah. and kneeing. Yeah. Swords are heavy. Yeah. Anyway, should try it. One swing time. for the fucking kill. That's what I have to say. <laughs> uh, my hot take is: we did it. We accomplished peak Shakespeare. No more. I am calling on all film directors. Stop it. We did it. There's no more needed. Let's just put Shakespeare behind us. Leave him in the 15th century, 16th century, whatever century he, 15. he was in. 14, 16, 16, 17. 16. <laughs> You're right. So it is 17. It is 17. We did it. No more. That's it. We're, uh, done. We're done now. It's over. Counterpoint. Party's fucking over. Counterpoint. Shakespeare is the new Brooklyn. I think it's just like, <laughs> I think it's cool now to be like, you know what's dope? Shakespeare. Yeah. Let's all move. Let's all move into this. Remember how it was dope to start? And then we like kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. We're coming back. Coming back now. Yeah. That's how, I mean. This is how these things go. Yeah. God I think. Damn it. I don't know if that's actually happening, but that's what Shakespeare is the new Brooklyn. You've heard it here first. <laughs> Do you think people in Brooklyn like have to have a Macbeth play in their bookshelf to like actually move into Brooklyn? No, that, I think. Do you, So do you think Shakespeare is like mainstream? Yeah, it's taught in every fucking high school in the United <laughs> States. I actually asked that question like kind of earnestly, and that answer was like so like, duh, you fucking idiot. Which is fair, but I mean, it's, it's just like so mainstream that like people just like brush it off. It's like that's what I mean. It's almost like you have to reclaim Shakespeare as a thing because people, yeah. Or like, oh, you're Shakespeare? Or? Maybe it feels that way to us because it was so a part of our lives in high school. And then after that, we just sort of forgot about it. And now we're like reading it again. I don't know. I just don't think people read Shakespeare for pleasure. I just don't think that they exist. I'm pro- so I mean, it's probably not yeah. mainstream. Yeah. In that sense. It's like a very niche market for people who actually enjoy it but everybody is forced to digest it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So there you go. Well said. Move your play. 
I'm going to play. What? Fuck you. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> I, I I would pick this up again. I, I would certainly watch the movie again. I would probably mention, as I mentioned, watch some of the other movies first before I pick back up. I've also watched this movie twice. So, yeah, you know, I'm a classic Apple TV plus <laughs> subscriber. Um, I don't know. I think, I think reading the play again and again and again will, will bring more to my life than watching this movie again and again and again. That's fair. So in that, that's why I go play. Um, I'm gonna go play too. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely moving. Um, I'll, I'll, if I never pick up Macbeth again, I will be happy. Man. It'll be too soon. <laughs> well, you can't move to Brooklyn cause yeah, it won't you let you in. <laughs> um, I also can't afford it. So final thoughts. What will we remember most? I thought Lady Macbeth slings some heat in this text. Uh, I, I like yeah. the, the unsex me here. Definitely. That wouldst be great. I shame to wear a heart so white. Uh, I, all those, I think were 10 out of 10 lines. And then I, I like underlined the, uh, when he's talking, Macbeth is talking to his, the murderers who killed Banquo. Um, they say like, we cut his throat basically. And he's like, yeah, you're the best of the cutthroats, aren't you? Mm. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> like that a lot. Yeah. Same. So some good lines. Who knew Macbeth? Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> In keeping tradition, I also quoted Macbeth as my uh, thing that I'll remember most was a quote, what you egg, quote, stabs him. I just think that's hilarious. I also saw a meme that was like, the quote that had this was like, this is the funniest fucking quote in, in any of Shakespeare's play. Set it up. He calls him an egg and then stabs him. Like, how can you like? Who, who are the people? Huh? Tell our audience what, what's the, what's the reference? I actually don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the quote so much. Do you remember? Uh, is this when Macduff stabs? No, I think it's different. It's it's like it's. Uh, I think it's one of the murderers. It's like one of the. They kill a second or third murderer. I saved it in my book here. It is the first murderer. Act four, scene two. <clears throat> Enter murderers. What are these faces? First murderer. Where is your husband? Lady Macduff. I hope in no place so unsanctified where such as thou mayst find him. First murderer. He's a traitor. Son, thou liest, thou shag-haired villain. Wow, that's a good line too. First murderer. What? You egg? <laughs> <laughs> Stabs. Stabs him. Young fry of Tetri. Son, he has killed me, mother. Run away, I pray you. He dies. I like it. Lady Macduff exits crying. Murder. Fall by the murderers with the body of her son. That's a pretty good scene. Yeah. Maybe I will read this again. What? You egg? <laughs> That's good. I, I'm, yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah. What a bizarre statement because egg is, I don't think there's egg was different back then, you know? What are you, egg? <laughs> what would you call me? I'm going to stab you. So egg translation is like infant. Oh. So get it because it's an egg. Yeah. It's not. You get it, right? I got it. All right. It's thematically relevant to this play with <laughs> Macbeth has no kids. Such an egg. Take us home, Will. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sign off here. Um, check out our most recent episode on After Yang, um, which came out this week. Keep an eye out for our next episodes. Eric, do we want to call it here? Yes. Uh, another Apple TV Plus joint show. Series. Yes. Uh, our first um 
venture into television. Yes. We're going to be doing Pachinko. Pachinko. Uh, we're not sure how we're going to structure it yet because I think there's eight episodes total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the book is about five, 600 pages or so. Um, so we're not sure on the on how we're going to do it, but it's coming up. So keep an eye out for that. Any shout outs? I, I'm too tired. <laughs> this is Macbeth. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Me neither. I think we're done. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Thank you.